Listening to TMB DOS. They must be destroyed on site. The following podcast may contain language and discussions of a frank and adult nature, and spoilers regarding the films discussed are always to be expected. Thank you for joining us. Now start the show, Dr. Rausch. They must be destroyed on site! Okay, welcome. We're back. They must be destroyed on site. Episode 128. And I'm your host, Lee. What he doesn't know about vampirism wouldn't fill a flea's codpiece, Russell. Joined by my co-host, Daniel. I suspect mesmerism in this. Harper, how are you doing, sir? I'm mesmerized. There you go. I, I set him up and you knock him down. It's, it's great. And we're also joined by my other co-host, Paul. To make sport of a physical affliction is both impolite and cruel. Ramali, how you doing, sir? All right, loudmouth. Oh. Big mouth, I'm sorry. <sighs> then I get mad, and then you chop me in half with a samurai sword. It's all good. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about a late period Hammer film tonight. Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter, which was sort of a too late to save the sinking ship attempt at sort of writing the course with Hammer Films, but we will get into that. Um, before we do that, we do have two comments. I asked for comments on the Facebook group. They must be destroyed on site on Facebook, the single best way of getting in contact with us and finding out what's coming out on the podcast. First off, and I was just on this gentleman's, uh, one of his podcasts earlier before we started recording here, Ricky Morgan of Hail Ming Power Hour and Short Bus Cinema and now House of Wax. That's W-A-C-K-S, not W-A-X, horror podcast. And he says, I absolutely love this movie. I remember dodging it for years in my teens because it was set in a time period that I was not into at the time. But after revisiting it, it has become a favorite. This is prime material that could be made into a great remake if handled correctly. And I can't believe that it hasn't been remade. I guess you kind of can say that it has been because of all the Abraham Lincoln versus vampires and all these ideas obviously come from this concept. The movie is a ton of fun, some pretty great effects for the time, and just feels like a long lost friend. Highly recommended. Yeah, and I I pretty much agree with that. Uh, I think this movie does have like a lot of influence on like how the sort of vampire genre would sort of mutate outwards in certain degrees. I, I kind of think that the people who did um, vampire, the, the anime, Vampire, vampire Hunter, Hunter D, D. Yeah. yeah, 
I yeah. think this I think this is really takes a lot from this one. Other comment, Jeff Williams, one of our Facebook group members, comments quite a bit, says, Really like that writer director Brian Clemens had the balls to issue the standard fog shrouded nighttime aesthetic for a mostly daytime or brightly lit look, as well as his choice of changing up the vampire mythology. The slight mystery aspect and twist were also a nice surprise. No Cushing, Lee, or even Ripper to be found, but the cast did an adequate job, and Carolyn Monroe was at her most brutally hot. That's that's a good way to put it, too. Easily the best late-cycle Hammer film for me. There we go. Yes, and I would love to find her in the stocks, just randomly. That'd be great. <laughs> maybe, maybe without the tomatoes and eggs in her hair. Well, uh, free food. I mean, it's free meal, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tomatoes, uh, eggs, and Carolyn Monroe. Now that's a breakfast. That's, yeah, a, that's so, a, make her into a burrito. So, so that, that's like that's like dinner and a show right there. That's, that's an omelet that you can make yeah. all day. Yeah. So uh, we'll take a really quick break, and we'll come back and talk about Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. You ungodly warlock! Howdy, folks. Got blood, violence. So you come to the right place. My name is Gary and I'm your guide to Cinema Beef Podcast. Every episode we not only deliver film reviews, we also dismantle some of your favorite and most hated films. Sometimes for the better and sometimes for the worse. Hey, 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 you shut your face! If we want to hear you talk, I will shove my arm up your ass and work your mouth like a puppet! Alright, calm down, calm down. Every show I hope to have a new co-host, podcasters, listeners alike. That's right, I'm talking to you people. I take all comers. That's not very nice. The only rules, well, let's ask the best cooler in the business. All you have to do is follow three simple rules. One, never underestimate your opponent. Expect the unexpected. Two, take it outside. Never start anything inside the bar unless it's absolutely necessary. Three, be nice. So join the insanity and please vent your frustrations. I'm available on TalkShoe, iTunes, and Stitcher Smart Radio. Remember, here at the Sun Beef Podcast, if you got beef, I've got the grinder. Bad movies. The world is full of them. From low-budget crap fests to downright unwatchable. And only two men are willing to watch them all. So climb in and take your seat. This is Short Bus Cinema. Let's do it. Hey everyone, this is Johnny Krug from Kruger Nation. And this is Rick Morgan from the Helming Power Hour. Well, we have decided to team up and take you where no one has gone before. We're on a quest to find the world's worst movie, and we're doing it on the bus. Driving through cult classics in every genre to find the holy grail of bad movies. So if you're looking for something different and more fun than you can stand, then climb on in. Short Bus Cinema is a proud member of Legion Podcasts. That's right, yo! Short Bus Cinema. We'd love to watch the movies you hate. Did you ever see a film at such a young age it left you traumatized with cinematic wounds? Ah, necrophilia! 
community on <laughs> It's a dead issue, man. Don't don't push it. Cinema Psyops is a weekly podcast documenting an ongoing experiment on the mind of an unwilling test subject. No one should have to watch this movie. Oh, no one should have to watch this. No one should have to watch this movie. Surprisingly, it's not a topic that a lot of people really want to tackle. I'm shocked, crude. I know, really. Right? It's the next sexual frontier that no one wants to explore. I am, in the most sincerest of senses, disappointed in it. It takes a powerful goddess like Connie, jam her arm down the monster's throat and kill it. Oh, I'm still tripping out over that. Even as a kid, I was like, I gotta find a girl like that. Every week, I, I get a new look of disappointment that I never thought I could get it's out of it. unimaginable. At 12 years old, you should not be watching this movie. Obviously. At 13, you should not be. 14, you shouldn't be. I'm not entirely sure even 17-year-olds should be watching this movie. Just because you're offended by something doesn't mean that you have the right to demand that it doesn't exist. Watching this film again, I had all of this like little nerd glee with everything that kept Little history up. doll yeah, popping up absolutely. at you. So I totally loved this film. Hey, I know why you, you know, couldn't see that. It's because your brain's warped watching this shit at 12 years old. Yeah, this is this is a rough movie. I told you ahead of time when we were getting ready to do it that it was How did you watch movie. this shit at 12? Because physical wounds heal, cinematic ones don't. Listen to Cinema Psyops. You ungodly warlock. Okay, Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter from 1974. In the 18th century in Central Europe, a black terror swept across the face of the land. The curse of vampirism, which had been a half-forgotten memory for hundreds of years, returned with a fury that struck unholy fear into the hearts of every man, woman, and child. One man dared to make a stand against this evil epidemic. One man dared to hurl a challenge of cold steel against the terror of the undead. He was Captain Kronos, Vampire Hunter. It is commonly supposed that a vampire attacks in only one way, by biting the neck and draining the victim of blood. The girls you spoke of, they were not trained of blood, but of youth, of life itself. You see? He's been bitten on the mouth. God's sake, I survived the vampire's bite. He is not the man you are. I'm doomed. My soul, a never-ending torment. Kill me! Kill me! 
life will be yours. Yours. Her youth will pulse through your veins, my darling. Replenishing. Restoring. Take her. At your service, sir. To the death. Yes, you bleed, my lord. This is God's blade. Forged for your black heart. Written and directed by Brian Clemens, who is probably best known for his TV work. Uh, he worked on as a, either a, a writer, um, producer of Danger Man, The Avengers, The New Avengers. But he also had some hands in The Golden Voyage of Sinbad and the less good Highlander 2, The Quickening. Uh, he had <laughs> he had something to do with that. I wouldn't. That's not something I would admit to. But there you go. It is starring Horst Jensen as Captain Kronos, John Carter as Professor Hieronymus Grost, Carolyn Monroe, fucking beautiful in this film as Carla, the always dependable mm-hmm. Hammer actor John Carson as Doctor Marcus, Shane Bryant as Paul Durwood, Lois Dane, who I'm quite fond of as Sarah Durwood. And Wanda Ventham as Lady Durwood. Durwood? Durwood? I don't know. It's probably one of those weird... Uh, Durwood Bumstead. Uh, we're just <laughs> lacking a giant sandwich. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, uh, I'll go right to a real quick synopsis here that I pulled from IMDb. Vampire hunter and expert swordsman Kronos finds himself in a small village where several of the local young women have been found in an advanced state of age, their youth drained from them by a vampire's kiss. Kronos' search leads him to the Durward uh, estate, where he is met by the effete children of the apparently aged and sick Lady Durward, uh, written in by Doug Cedarberg. And that's pretty good. Doug kind of captured the basic structure of this, but uh, we'll move on and see what we think. So I'll go to you, Paul, because this is one you two um, did watch for a previous episode that was not covering this movie. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) So uh, when's the first time you watched this and what's your sort of thoughts on this? I watched this a long time, a long time ago with my parents when I was a kid. They played it on the the uh, TV. It was a uh, little with the commercial, so I know it was on TV then. But yeah, and then I, I got it on VHS later, and then now on DVD. But it's one of the ones that I kind of I wouldn't say always liked. I kind of came and went with it. It was one of those ones I had to acquire a taste for because it wasn't your traditional one. It wasn't a <laughs> traditional Dracula film, so you know with that. But I always loved Hammer Horror. It always reminded me in a slight way of uh, the Fierce Vampire Killers a little bit, but different. And different, mm-hmm. but but that same kind of vibe, which I was a big fear of this Vampire Killers fan. Sharon Tate, hot. Carolyn Monroe, hot. It works. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was one of those ones that I started, I grew up watching for quite a long time. Right on. Um, but what, what are your sort of general uh, thoughts on this one, though? I like it a lot because it's very mysterious. It brings a lot of folklore and it brings a lot of different nuances to the film. It, does, it doesn't feel like your standard hammer horror dracula film i think that's what obviously they were going for and i love the frog the toads in the box it's bury the toad vampire (laughs) i like that that little crap 
is just so cool to me. Yeah. That definitely works. Uh, how about you, Daniel? Same questions. The first time I saw this was this afternoon, actually. I watched the version that was... Uh, this is available, officially sanctioned on YouTube right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the uh, official Hammerhar channel, so you can uh, go check it out, and I would recommend it. I like that this was not a traditional horror film. Not that I am minding watching them, uh, but you know, I'm not the hugest fan of the genre. Uh, but I really loved the uh, the kind of the. This is just a fun movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it really doesn't. There's really not a lot of like kind of straightforward horror in this. It's a lot more. You know, there's some humor. There's uh, you know swashbuckling action. There's a little bit of romance. There's you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a mix of genres, and I, I really uh, it was really refreshing. Um, even just kind of glancing through it to make sure that I had the you know that I had the right movie, I was kind of like, oh, this looks very different from a lot of the other stuff we watch. And I really like the print here. I don't know what the what the old VHS copies or the versions that you've been growing up watching might have looked like, but the version that I watched today looks pretty phenomenal, and it has a really kind of modern feel to it in a lot of ways in terms of its structure, in terms of uh, the way it, it is kind of winking at the audience a bit, um, and it's uh, sort of paced to a degree that, you know, you're not, you're, you're rarely waiting around for something to happen. Um, it's also uh, just got some some fun little character bits, and yeah, overall, I mean, I think it's a really enjoyable film. There's some stuff that, you know, there's some stuff that didn't hit me as, uh, as, as quite as uh, nice as some of the other parts, but we can, uh, we can kind of get into that here in a minute, I think. But, but overall, it's a strong recommend for me. I liked it a lot. Right on. Yeah, I, I first saw this probably about 10 years ago, something like that. Uh, just recently bought the DVD. And as you said, it is on Hammer's official YouTube channel. I can't ever remember this looking bad on all those different no, versions I've seen. This, this, is one of the, this is one of those Hammer films that's sort of really been just preserved very well. It's a late period Hammer film uh, at this point. can't think of his name right off the top of my head, but uh, the head of the studio, he I guess he took over for his dad. And Hammer was basically going down the toilet at this point, like financially wise. Um, a lot of their productions were at this point co-produced with AIP and other American uh, producers. And they even sort of lost that around this point as well. Mm. So the money wasn't there and people weren't coming to the, see their stuff because everyone was sort of doing more modern horror at this point. You know, like when you, when you have stuff like the Omen and the Exorcist and stuff like that in the theaters, and then Hammer tries to make a really cheapo version of one of those films, and it just fails miserably. Uh, to the Devil a Daughter, I believe is the one that, re- yeah, which really kind of went down. Did, didn't do well at all. So they were looking for a new direction with this stuff, and so they tasked uh, the director Clemens to do that here. And apparently, there was some you know fights behind the scenes uh, from the studio head because this film, when he came to visit. Uh, the film was not being done professional enough for his standards. Apparently, apparently, people were actually having fun and enjoying themselves making this film instead of instead of doing everything by the book, by the sort of hammer book, I guess you know. But you know, they're trying to make something for kids here instead of having a hero that is you know as much as we all love Peter Cushing here. They were trying to you know let's not have the old guy come in and save the day at the end of things. Let's have an actual like youthful, interesting hero. And I mean, uh, Horst Jensen here, really attractive guy, young, kind of hip. Like he's, he's just sort of, he's got a John Denver kind of look. 
Yeah, he's, he's this ir- irreverent guy. He's like, he's smoking the Chinese herb, wink, wink, at one point in this film. He doesn't have respect for authority at all. So, I mean, that would be very attractive for a youthful audience, you would hope. And, I mean, he gets to shack up with Carolyn Monroe. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. She throws uh, herself at him. That's the that's the fun part of that. Like, you mm-hmm. know, she just shows up. She takes off her dress. It's all, you know, very artfully in shadows. And suddenly, the next thing you know, they're just boning. It's yeah. It's, you know, yeah. they even get a little rough now and again too. Yeah, no, it's great. <laughs> yeah, he he like he either bites her on the lip or uh, or slaps her around slaps a little while. Around, yeah. Yeah. I was always wondering at first until I watched. It, I was like, what the hell is it? It's on her lip. What is going? Oh shit. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah and I was, I was kind of thinking like uh, you see her a little bit sil- silhouetted in the shadows when they go to Boff in the barn, and I was thinking. Yeah, that's that's a close second to Claudia Cardinelli from the Queens there for me. Yeah, that's... no, no, it's 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 right up there. It was definitely a moment in in uh, cinema history for my 2018 viewing of uh, great great nude silhouettes. Like, well, yeah. you know, Claudia Cardinelli, you're always going to be my number one. But you know, this is this is right there with it. Yeah, and this is this is like even though she's not given a lot to do, like Carolyn Monroe is this is probably like the first meaty role she was given. Like this is her, I believe this is her second Hammer appearance after Dracula nineteen seventy two AD or whatever, um, where she's just a victim in that, or really hot victim, but just a victim. Here she actually gets to do stuff. You know, she makes the choice to save Kronos. Like she's this gypsy girl or something that's saved by Kronos when she's in the stockade. Apparently they, she said on the commentary that they literally actually like threw eggs and tomatoes <laughs> at her to, to get the effect down. So there you go. Um, yeah, that's, that's a dedication to craft right there. It yeah. would look weird if they just placed a tomato on her head. Yeah, it would look like, a little weird. <laughs> there you go. But, um, but yeah, uh, and she, you know, she uh, decides to stick with Kronos. And at one point, you know, uh, someone makes some sort of comment. He's like, "I'm not her. I'm not his slave. I'm. I'm cho- I've chosen oh, to be yeah, here." You know, he has. Uh, he says, uh, well, "Who is your master?" And he said, "He's not my master." Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you know, that's, that's fairly early on too. That's that's mm-hmm. even before the the barn that's, bone scene. So that's you right. Know. That's right when they get there already. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so no, I, I like I like her a lot. I mean, I think she's my favorite character by far. Um, not that there are a lot of great characters in this or anything, but uh, you know, she she's definitely got that kind of that independent spirit. I read in the uh, on uh, I think the Wikipedia page it said uh, that the uh, the writer kind of imagined this being kind of a Raquel Welch, a little bit more kind of the fire yeah. redhead kind of role. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think Carol Monroe is she kind of makes it her own. She she doesn't go quite to that degree. Um, you can definitely imagine a kind of Raquel Welch or an Ann Margaret or someone, you know, kind of, kind of really like selling up the, um, uh, the more, you know, kind of rambunctious qualities in the character. Right. But Carol Monroe pl- plays it a little bit more restrained and a little bit more realistic. And I think it grounds the film in a way because, I mean, we really are looking at this ultimately very silly film about like this, like, I mean, mm-hmm. you can almost see this as like a Don Quixote kind of film, right? Where, you know, like, you know, despite the fact that the vampires are ostensibly real, um, you know, these are almost, you know, kind of romantic fiction kind of like archetypes that, you know, they're, they're, they're kind of disconnected from the, from the reality of you know, kind of anything. That's kind of the fun of them. I think what Carol Monroe really does here in her acting choices and in terms of the way she's written is she gives them kind of a person to play off of who's kind of on their side and with them and isn't one of the like villagers or whatever, but is also, 
not really kind of hasn't really drunk all the Kool-Aid yet, you know? <laughs> yeah. And she has this sort of, she sort of plays it like a playful enthusiasm kind of thing. Like she gets excited being part of the team. Like she basically just becomes fast friends of Kronos and uh, Grost. Mm-hmm. And I love she, the way she like shovels the dirt in the hole in that like one scene mm-hmm. where she's, you know, like that's just, it's just a great little acting moment, you know, just a physical acting moment. It's hard to explain. But... Barry and the toad. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, yeah. She doesn't know, uh, she doesn't know everything of what's going on. Like, you know, she's, she's always questioning stuff like, why are we burying toads and stuff like that? Yeah. But at the same time, she's right on board to do it just because it's, hey, this is fun. I like yeah, this. It's fun. It's cool. Part of this, she, you know? I have is like this weird, like, she like reminds me of Nova from, Planet of the Apes now and again, but not. Yeah. You know what I mean? But she's more into it. She's part of the team. Like you said, she like becomes fast friends with everybody. It's really interesting. And it's cool because this film doesn't feel like your traditional, like you were saying. It almost I wouldn't even been surprised if it was an original comic book idea made into a film because it seems like oh, an actual adventure it, film. It, it feels very comic booky. It's and a it mysterious kinda... world with, with yeah. folklore and, and vampires and electric lights that you're not supposed to see and like weird stuff like that. It's pretty interesting. It's an interesting film. Well, well yeah, it, it eventually did become a limited comic book series, but but yeah, it, it does have uh, like you said, it has a different folklore for the vampires. Essentially, this could still be ostensibly in the same universe as the other Hammer vampire films, but they make the point of saying basically that yes, there's the traditional Christopher Lee vampires, but then there's just like dogs, there's all kinds of breeds of vampires. Yeah, all, so all predators, different. different predators, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and tradition only works for some of them. Sometimes you have to uh, sometimes you have to... Uh, sometimes you need fire, experiment. sometimes water. You have sometimes, to experiment. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you have to but shag them to death. That might be my favorite scene in the film, honestly, because it really is like playing for humor there. Like, mm-hmm. that's, that's a, that's, and that's part of what makes it feel very modern to me, is that you know they, they, they don't go straight up slapstick with it, and I'm glad they didn't. It's very well shot, actually. I love the kind of like when they're hanging the guy, and uh, oh yeah, you know, you thank you. See it from I'm not outside. the only one. And like you get this like kind of pan back where you you get the shadow and the or, well another great you know, like silhouette, although a very different kind of silhouette. Yeah. And then they, the they lower him to the ground, and then they have to wait. And like, oh, he's still breathing. God uh, damn it! Shit. Like, you know? But you still get that nice like cinematography with like the noose coming down and and, and haloing his face and stuff. I always found that scene to be hilarious like that whole scene was just hilarious and yep. i rewatched it for the film well for the podcast that we never ever did and i was like should i <laughs> we're doing that podcast now do? now that's the podcast we're doing now this must be really weird for you're paul watching, yeah. you're watching <laughs> you're watching now now paul when will then be now, now? Then, when will then be now is now okay, okay good but yeah, it's such a great scene. It's so good. I mean, I love it. I mean, but Marcus really overacts the fact that I killed a girl after he just literally. I love the I love the fox bats slapping the girl in the face as hard as he can. It's like what mm-hmm. the fuck happened? <laughs> that was it, the whole film's pretty damn fucking fun. It's yeah, a the, fun film. That's that's actually a big ev- evolution for uh, Hammer vampire films right there, where uh, the uh, quote unquote vampire bat, like you said, the fox bat, basically mm-hmm. that uh, gets that poor girl. At least it looks like a real bat. It's, yeah, and they, and they had when uh, when they were going through the graveyard, and I believe it was his daughter, the uh, the count's daughter, was you see the the vampire, the fruit bat, the fox bat on the the cross there too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's and it was like wow, they're not using backs on strings. That's amazing. Yeah. 
there's a lot of improvements here on sort of the sort of hammer formula. Like they just do things a lot different. Uh, like uh, our comment, uh, Jeff Williams uh, left uh, about how everything's basically during the daytime. Like all the, all the stuff happens during the day. The vampires are out walking around during the day doing this. The cinematography, like you guys said, is great in this film. Like I think this is actually probably one of the best shot hammer films, especially considering, of course, most hammer films were shot on sets from sound stages and stuff, right? For the most part. Here you have like big open spaces. You got a lot of really cool skylines and stuff like that that are just really beautiful to look at. You got like the shot of the the cemetery and stuff like that. Um like one of the action scenes uh where the villagers decide uh, they, they think Kronos has killed the doctor without any, you know, just basically straight without, up murder without him. any provocation. Yeah, just cold yeah, blooded. And they and they attack him, and the scene is done. You know, POV from down the hill, looking up, and Kronos is disarming all these uh, dumbass villagers. And every once in a while, you see one of the swords hit the ground. It's been flipped out of their hand and and sticks in the ground. Like really cool. Mm-hmm. I really like that stuff. Right. Yeah. And you just keep sword after sword after sword comes in. And I like, uh, I like, again, Carolyn Monroe's reaction to the whole thing. She's laughing her ass off. Mm. All the time. I, I love that. I love that. No one thinks this is at all a like serious threat to them. Mm-hmm. Like literally, literally our, um, you know, Gorst, uh, Grost. Yeah. Gross there. Grost, but, yeah. Um, he just he just kind of like sees them coming and then just goes and sits down. Like, oh, it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> You've seen it before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, is this the bit where the villagers get mad at you for some reason? Oh, okay. No, that's never happened before. You kind of get the feeling that Kronos uh, there has been, like, sleeping his way through these towns, and maybe they've gotten a few villagers mad before, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, there's there's a definite there's a definite sense. Of, I there's a sense of a even though this is the first and only film of this, I, I would love to see more of these. Like if yeah. we had like, I'd love to see like three or four other of these movies. But well, that's the sad really thing. Fun. It was yeah. supposed to be a nice little series, but Hammer just could not bring back yeah. the funds, and that's sad because these would have been fantastic. Oh yeah, but but you you definitely get the sense that this is like sort of like a middle adventure. This isn't like an origin mm-hmm. story or anything, you know. And and that's something that I think. You know, I said this film feels very modern, but that's something that more modern films should kind of do. <laughs> it's yeah. just sort of like not not have to feel like they have to give us an origin story for like, and this is how Kronos met Grost, and you know, like you know, I do wish what? that Carolyn Monroe had gone with them at the end. That's one yeah, of the that that know. sucks. It's like, oh well, you're the girl, so we're just gonna leave you in this random village. Every time I Bye-bye. have a lonely night, I'll think of you. And then he's like, you got this vibe where he's going, I'm not going to have many lonely nights, but I'll think of you when I do. It's one of those yes. kind of deals. Like, I'd rather have her instead of think of her. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> but, I'll just, yeah. It's like, but, hey, you can you can take her with you. I'll bet she would go with you. She seems, uh-huh. down, she seems down for that. And, like, it would have been nice. But, no, yeah, well, you're, you're the girl. Like, we've had one adventure with you. It's fine. Yeah. yeah. One thing I will say about the film Grost is definitely an equal to Kronos. He's not. Oh yeah. Just like, a, like everyone, like if you look at the, what they the, describe the film, it's like a sidekick. I think he's an equal. He knows what to do, and Kronos knows how to kill him. But he yeah, doesn't well, know until he tells him, "Hey, by the way, this is the way you do it." Well, well there, there's there's kind of a Hellboy Abe Sapien relationship. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Sorry to use a more modern reference. There, no, no, but I, I mean like, that actually that that kind of film that. Guillermo del Toro kind of aesthetic that actually kind of connects to this. It does. Like, it's so very similar. Thought of it, but it works. Um, and I mean, uh, Grost. I mean, he has 
he has some really good scenes. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's one where uh, Carolyn Monroe's going to to fuck Kronos, and and he and he's he just looks over at John Carson and is like, uh, I play chess, I, and he's I got a bottle of wine for a rainy day, <laughs> and it looks like it's gonna rain, and they yeah, walk off together. It's, it's it's totally uh, it's totally Casablanca. Yeah, I love that. Look, he looks up. It's pouring. I yeah. love that. It's great. And it's like he's such a. I mean, like he's a really good part of the film. I just think he, he puts that levity to it, but at the same time, he explained the mythos perfectly. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. all, all the questions that you had when the film first started, he answered in the first 10 minutes and then you just run with it. And you, you actually don't just keep questioning. You just go with it. The the thing I really like about his character too, is when they're confronted in the bar, like, uh, so the, the two nobles, they have this shady <sighs> stagecoach guy, who uh, sort of gets the hint that, hey, Kronos is going to be messing with my interests here. Uh, So I I should pay off these swordsmen to kill him in the bar or whatever. So these swordsmen show up in the bar and they they see Kronos and they're like, you know, they start picking on him. And they start picking on the hunchback. They start picking on poor Grost. And the interesting thing is here is, yeah, you get that he is, he sees himself as sort of like Kronos's equal, you know, like they're, they're a team because this seems like the first time he's ever been hurt by being called a hunchback, like having people actually treat him like shit. And like after the fight, which ends really quickly, it's a very sort of um, samurai it's film aesthetic it, kind of thing. Where they call that a fight? Not a fight. <laughs> I was, I, I was thinking about the, uh, the scene in Django where Django just like completely annihilates, you know, yeah, a bunch of guys. I mean, it feels it feels very much like a western. Which I mean, the samurai films and the westerns are obviously, oh hell yeah, you know, kinda... yeah. But then you know, Gross is like he's he's sort of down on himself. It's, they they were they were treating me like shit. They were calling me hunchback and stuff like that. And and Cronus is like you know he just says, "Hey, God made gave you that body, you know whatever." And it's like you know just basically cheer up. Uh, you're cool with me, so fuck those people. Basically, <laughs> yeah, no, no, it's great. Um, the one thing I will say, um, I really hated that hunchback makeup. It 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 just uh, it didn't look very great, did it? It, it just kind of looks like shit, and it just drew my attention. Like the rest of the movie is so is so good that it just sort of. I almost wish they had because it really is like oh they just took a guy and then put like this giant wad of yeah. clothes on his back and then he doesn't he's not really performing the hunchback. I was just about to say, did you that. notice that he's standing erect most of the film? Yeah, yeah no. Uh, and then again, if Carolyn Monroe was around, I'd probably be standing erect. Yeah. Wackity schmackity do. You know, it's it's a fine performance, but it is it is kind of like uh, you know you kind of ah, I just like you don't need it. You could have given him some other like quality, or you could have made it a little bit less sort of sort of comedy. You know, kind of kind of it's just like really un- unnerving to see you know that kind of giant. I'm um, sorry, is that, fake, you have Mount you know? Fuji on your back right now? What is going on? <laughs> <laughs> I kept expecting him to reveal that, like, in reality, he was just, uh, like, storing food there or something. That's why I keep my liquor cabinet. Yeah, He, he, pull, he pulls, like, an orange out for Carolyn Monroe or something like that. This is, this is where I keep my condoms. <laughs> <laughs> and this is where I keep Kronos' condoms. <laughs> and, uh, I can ones. imagine, though, I can imagine, though, like, uh, Gross there probably gets plenty of action of his own. You know, he's, oh, like, yeah. hanging around Kronos. He's kind of doing the badass vampire hunter thing. It's like, you know, I threw him that sword at the end. He was a goner without me, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, and that, I mean, like, he made a fucking sword. Like, mm. like yeah. that's, that's pretty fucking amazing. Forged uh, a giant cross into a smaller cross yeah. with a sharp edge that's very, very shiny. So, you know, uh, yeah, I like that. That the uh, oh, I love the mirror part too. Like, like they know. talk about they talk about like the sort of the uh, Stephen King thing when it comes to like using holy relics against vampires and stuff. Like, it, it has to do with more of the sort of the belief you put into it than it has to do with any sort of real mm. uh, religion or anything. So, it's what what ends up hurting uh, poor old uh, Doctor Marcus is his steel, just his cheap old steel cross that he has, but. Apparently, there's so much faith imbued into it that it's actually an effective weapon. So it's like we got to stick, we got to make the sword out of this, and uh, you know, and use that as the weapon to you know kill the head vampire. And I really like that this film actually does have a pretty effectively done like twist at the end of it, where yeah. it's the vampire's not who you think it is. Early on, it it almost feels like oh, it gives away its cards that. It's basically Sarah Durward that is the vampire, and by the way, she's really hot. I like her. She, she's, she's great. Yeah. This, this feels, this, no, she's perfect. She's perfect. Yeah, I I, I like I, the way I, I love really. I love the pixie cut. I love the pixie mm-hmm. cut. I was surprised at how at how much the pixie cut was great. It was just a it was a perfect little uh, character bit. And another thing that really like puts the film in that kind of it, it's very of its moment in the seventies as well. Yeah. yeah, because you know Captain Kronos is this—he basically just looks like a like a hip surfer dude. You know, like he, he doesn't look like he's. <laughs> well, it's not—it's not pretending that this is like some particular moment in history, right? Like it's—it's mm-hmm. it's almost. I mean, there, there's a sense in which it does remind me a lot of the Princess Bride, and that right. it's sort of like set in sort of like vaguely—it's not medieval, but it's sort of vaguely 18th or 19th century land. And we've got sort of more modernistic kind of characters kind of wandering on the scene. And we're not really doing like a slapsticky pastiche of it. But at the same time, we're not pretending this is anything other than just sort of a fun romp that we're going to go on either, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. I don't know if they want to like specifically say it's the Black Plague, but it was the plague since like 1400s. Mm-hmm. That area, and I don't know. It's kind of weird the, the way to do it. I like Hammer's liberal use of making sure everyone is named Paul. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Makes me feel good. Yeah, that, that's that's you know, you get yourself a little bit of a, a holdover from uh, the uh, traditional Hammer vampire yep. films, There's but in but but in this case, the Paul is uh, well, he's he's a good guy, but he's yeah. he's an aristocratic. The weirdest, he was a little bit of a brat, but at the same time, well, he was always nice to Marcus to a certain extent. Uh, <laughs> my thing was when I was watched it, and I still kind of like question: Did he know? Or didn't he know? Like I think, I think. Uh, well, might as well just reveal the twist here. You know, so spoilers for anyone listening. Oh. Um, essentially, what it is is uh, the two sort of aristocratic uh, Durward uh, kids, who you suspect are the vampires all along, are actually caring for their enfeebled mother, who is not as enfeebled as the movie lets you believe. She's actually wearing a mask, and I'm glad that they revealed it's a mask, so that way because it kind of looks a little crappy. So it's like, okay, we can get over it. And it turns out, it turns out that Lady uh, Durward, by the way, Ingrid Pitt was originally given the opportunity to take that role. And you can kind of see the way she's dressed and everything like, yeah, that looks like Ingrid Pitt should have been in there. Mm -hmm. But 
but she's actually she's, she actually turns out to be a vampire who has sort of uh, revitalized herself over a period of seven years. She claims, and she's also looking to bring back her dead husband. Uh, as I, I, I do like the fact that this definitely says out loud without saying it. I am not a traditional vampire. I use black magic to become a vampire, yeah. and that's I use black magic to bring your father back from the grave. And then I'm going to give this gift to you too, because I'm a Castile, and that just automatically like I'm a Castile. So I'll, we're witches and all this shit. I was like, this is a great fucking film that has all this like unspoken like mystique to it. It's great. So yeah. are the kids not killing people at all? Then are they not no. vampires? Okay, because I, I, I assume they they are constantly like they're not idiots. So I'm assuming they're constantly being mesmerized by their mother to forget. Because there's this great scene, it's the reveal at the end, where finally uh, Kronos and his crew are coming to the uh, Durward uh, estate to confront the vampire. Basically, Lady Durward uh, mesmerizes her kids because they discover, oh shit, mom's a vampire and she's bringing dad back. And then, before that, she mesmerized Carolyn Monroe, who's the bait, to uh, basically distract them so Kronos and uh, Gross can break in. And then... Everyone's mesmerized around them. Kronos uses the blade to reflect her mesmerism back to her, which mesmerizes her. Mm-hmm. And then Kronos and the uh, Lord Hagen. Durward, Hagen. yeah, Hagen, they they have a sword fight. They have this awesome sword fight around all these people standing still, mesmerized. Which I love the fact cool. that she's she's like spread her arms out too. She's not just like standing there, like, like she's like in this mm-hmm. like pageant play kind of position. And when they're fighting around it. Hagen is fighting around his daughter and he's constantly batting the sword away from his daughter so the daughter doesn't get hurt. Mm-hmm. Kronos, you know, Cronus is just doing all that stuff. It's a great it's absolutely great. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is a that is a really good fight scene. I mean, we mentioned the uh, the bit on the the bit on the hilltop there, which is great in conception, but doesn't look very good. It definitely looks like you know they kind of shot a bunch of close ups of a guy kind of holding a sword and going and then like yeah. you know blades fly, <laughs> you know. But the uh, but the stuff in the in the end, I mean, it's not it's not full on Errol Flynn, but it's it's pretty pretty solid stuff, pretty solid pretty solid uh, swashbuckling scenes, and uh, you know a little bit more of that uh, would would be the only thing I'd say like this film needs is you know just just a little bit more sword play. You know? The thing I like though is that the the film doesn't cheat you at the end when the, it's who the real villains are revealed as being because throughout the film they drop little hints like yeah, uh, Hagen Durwood was a great swordsman who was never beaten and, and stuff like that. So once you look and rewatch this one, um, those little moments actually build upon the end and make the end much more successful in its execution. And it's like, yeah, there, there's actually history. There's storytelling being done here. You just didn't know it at the time. And and then it, when it finally comes to full reveal, it's like really honestly for, for a hammer film. And, you know, I'm not trying to disparage hammer films at all, but a lot of these hammer films were not, constructed this well script wise this one actually is really fucking good yeah no i i i mean i i think it's it's got one of the strongest scripts of a film of this kind that i've seen in a long long time uh in terms of uh you know a lot of times with these films either you know kind of the you know the ending just kind of feels a little perfunctory or you know you kind of spend a lot of time you know basically just treading water until you get to the stuff that you care about uh here you really don't there's very there's a little bit of that i'm not i'm not gonna say it's perfect in that regard there's Mm -hmm. a a little bit of stuff that i feel like yeah do we really need like a couple of the kills early on i'm kind of yeah we kind of got what's going on already like i don't necessarily need this i mean it sells the world it sells the kind of situation but 
I totally yeah. missed out on saying the one guy gave his right arm for his family. I oh, Jesus. Totally that's, that. that's a good moment. That's a good one. <laughs> but yeah, we'll, yeah. Uh, we'll both Lady, look like death in the morning. Lady Durward, or or perhaps even Hag and Durward, depending on who's doing what killing when, they wipe out like one or two families in the town, like, and totally wipe them out throughout the progression right. of the movie. And yeah, so there there is, you know, deeply seated horror stuff here below the surface. But yeah, for the most part, it's just a really stellar script and the ending definitely works better than a lot of the endings of the uh, Christopher Lee Hammer Dracula films because a lot of the times as great as a lot of those films are they destroy Dracula like quick like it's it's yeah, like it's, 2 minutes it's, and it's done well what was the one he just literally ran across the table pulled down the thing and it was over yeah he ran and he just got the fucking yeah it was sunlight bomb down you know it's it's a little bit of a now i won't say that the um the madam's killing wasn't the most spectacular more he did that sword play she wasn't a giant mythical violent beast that she was a sorceress she was um she uses mysticism you know what i mean when, not, once he beats the husband then you know it's not it's not going to take too long for him to, to yeah yeah, you know, yeah. Like, she's not a fighter she's just yeah. you know although i love people. although i love when he uses like just a regular sword against uh hagen uh-huh. he, he stabs him and it goes right through him doesn't affect him at all and it, i like cool. i like that because then you get that little bit of a futilism you know that guy you can't kill me chronos and it's like yeah. oh wait here's your sword back oh, you sure. can't hurt me chronos yeah, yeah. Like the one that. thing, the one thing that like would really kind of like push that scene over the edge is if Cronus had found some other like he had like there happened to be another like metal cross there or something, you know, mm. he had managed to to sort of, you know, like he didn't just literally, you know, uh, Gross just like throws the sword to him and then he just stabs him right then, you know, it would, it would be nice if you've been disarmed, but hey, you found another way to do this. Uh, just, but you know, it, it also kind of it works in context. I, I, you know, but it is sort of one of those like just ninja yeah. starred across across the room and stabbed him right in the face. That, it, it, that it, would be perfect. It, it works <laughs> in the it works in the context that Kronos is the absolute top of his game professional where. If he got the thro- sword thrown to him, yeah, he's going to kill this vampire, no problem. Right. Like he's going, he's going to finish him off. One of the things that they were planning on here when they were thinking, yeah, we're make a series out of this. The idea is that Kronos is sort of like a immortal, universal hero type throughout the ages mm-hmm. who can't die. Well, I guess so, we missed that point, didn't we? Uh, he's yes. basically Blade. But, you know, <laughs> I was thinking about Blade watching yeah, this because film. he uh, like, he got bit, but it didn't kill him. Yeah, unlike Marcus, Marcus got so, bad and he died. So they were planning on apparently the sequels, uh, and there was also a proposed TV series that they were thinking of at some point. The idea was that he w- he had been like now he was I'm like hundreding years- like Captain Kronos to the theme of last greatest American hero, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it was supposed to be like you would see Captain Kronos at different times. This really is like fucking Highlander. Yeah, like, it is Christ. Kind of, like you know. I, that's oh shit. Highlander the Quickening, yeah, yeah, there we go. This is like he made that one first, and then he made the Quickening. See, there you go. Now, yeah. now you like the Quickening even more, don't God, you? No, I, I, I really I, don't. No, you don't. But... You really don't. No, I'm just... <laughs> but that makes sense. Like, if that sort of idea was sort of going in the back of his head, is like, yeah, okay, I could. And he is in. son of kings. He says, "Get them off before they turn blue." On the very <laughs> aristocratic line. Yeah, yeah. There's some weird stuff there, like where you know uh, he's he's got Carol Monroe like putting leeches on his back and stuff, and yeah. But yeah, uh, I don't know anything else you guys have to say about this film. Or uh... 
Now, now I really wish we'd seen. I mean, I I want to see more of them now, just to get into the lore. Like you know, it is kind of there. There is rumors of remakes, but I think it's stalled around. 20- I, I I don't I don't think it should be remade. I think I wish that there were. Like, <laughs> I just don't think they would. Yeah, I don't think they would do a good remake. I, but I'm a bitter old man. But I just don't think they would remake this film correctly. What if Hammer did it though? Because yeah, Hammer's still at, making movies. Look at Highlander: The Quickening. Just think about that for a second. Well, we shouldn't do a remake. Uh, Highlander was always better in concept and execution until they got to the TV series, in which they finally like cracked the the code of that. But you know, Adrian Paul, that was the answer. It was it wasn't Christopher Lambert. It was Adrian Paul. It, it always was, it go was, with it was the really Pauls. It was really just like a great concept with bad writing. You know, that was yeah. kind of you know those films were always like, oh yeah, I love the idea, and then you sit down and watch and like, yeah, this is kind of was always crap. So you know. But it's got yeah. Queen music, so that's what that's what this yeah, that, that makes it better. It, they Queen music, yeah. Well, see, Although yeah, the, the, score, the score is very good. I will, I do is, really like the score. Yeah, the I mean, the Laurie uh, Johnson score. He he's actually the business partner of the director Brian Clemens, and they had worked together on the Avengers uh, TV series. So uh, they they did do like a lot of stuff together. Well, on Daniel's part, she was almost a killer queen. Yeah, she, she was just a lordess. Close. <laughs> and a fat bottom girl as well. If, if Ooh, we can go there, it know. makes my rock and world go round. Yeah. She just had to break free from that stockade. <laughs> yeah, I th- those are like the five queen songs I know I can't do. I got I actually had the chance of meeting Carolyn Monroe back in two thousand six. Nice. And it was nice to meet her and I definitely like, oh, you all still have sex with you. That's not a problem right there. <laughs> did, did, did you tell her that? Because I feel like you <laughs> should was, not. It, yeah, was, it, was, it was more of just uh, gawking awkwardly in a weird way. Yeah. Which she's probably very used it, to. It, it's yeah. like, come on, Grandma, let's rock and roll. Uh, but it was good. I, it's it's nice. This film is, is um, it has a nice vibe. It has a classness, classiness to it that doesn't go old. Unlike her later work, where she had to basically get hired to class up Maniac, because I'm like yeah. that's the only reason she got hired. It's like when Barbara Steele was in Piranha, that was just the class. Class meets ass. <laughs> that was the whole deal. So this one actually she fits really well with it. And I like that she could have got used a little more, like what Daniel says and stuff. But I think she did a really good job with this film for sure. Yep, totally agree. Yeah, I'm. I'm really glad I met Judith Ridley before. I, I watched There's Always Vanilla because I would have been just staring at her tits the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, that would have been awkward. This film was actually filmed in 72, but wasn't released till 74. So hmm. they kind of they kind of shot themselves in their, in, the, in, in their foot with this this stuff. Like, so if on, it would have got released earlier, it probably would have. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe. Who's to really say? But I mean, honestly, it sounds like a lot of Hammer's problems were actually at the like top of the studio level than it was anything else. Like the decision makers were making the wrong decisions because obviously the talent involved in this, like it's mostly like a lot of new talent. And then, you know, you got a couple of like classic hammer guys in this, but for the most part, it's a totally different kind of hammer movie. And if they could have kept building on that probably would have been interesting to see where they went. 
But I mean, budget for this was one hundred and sixty thousand dollars, and it didn't do well at the box office. So right. you can you can imagine what their returns must have been pretty fucking low. Was it just the wrong time for it? Maybe people were done watching it. It, was, it, was, it was it was too late. People because were. It, it's honestly probably like we said, like one of their best made and best looking films. Yeah, so, no the 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 whole uh, British film industry was like kind of bottoming out at this point. It's interesting. One, more, I know we're I know we're trying to wrap up early here, but this kind of prefigures Star Wars in a way. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's it's in the sense of like kind of this sort of fun, goofy tone, uh, kind of big Joseph, John, you know Joseph Campbell themes, whatever. Like I, that's bullshit, but they believed in it at the time, I guess. Whatever. But you know, the, the kind of the cereal box for kids, but you know, some kind of made for adults at the same time. You know, it isn't kind of playing with the same kind of genre, but it's definitely kind of doing this. It's kind of trying to reach for the same kind of audience, and it's just not quite. I mean, it doesn't have the effects. It doesn't. It isn't do. It doesn't have that George Lucas Spielberg magic that right. Star Wars does. Well, yeah. if, if Franco would have directed it, it would have got there. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, no. If Franco if, had directed this, then it definitely would have been. Oh my god! If know, Franco, it, if Franco had directed this, Carolyn Monroe and Lois Dane, who was Sarah Durward, they would have, they would have fucked, they, they would have fucked on that couch <laughs> for the there, there would have been like a twenty-minute scene between the two of them. Yeah, just right Paul, there. Paul would be like, "I'll get a room ready. Never mind. She can spend the night with me." Yeah, oh, that's, that's where, when I first watched this movie years ago, that's where I thought it was going. <laughs> My bed is very cold and very big. Come in with me. But yeah, <laughs> enough of butter masturbatory fantasies here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and we all know Paul would have watched yeah. the crack in the door too. He would have watched that for sure. Yeah, because there is a bit of a weird, like uh, almost incest vibe between the two. Uh, well, the, they the are two siblings. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, um, the movie never quite goes that far. But, yeah, I, I like this one a lot. It's one of my favorite Hammer films. It, it's, it's hard to say if this is, like, number one or number two. I still I still have a really soft spot for uh, Taste of Blood of Dracula. There's something about yeah. that film that I... Yeah. And, and I, honestly, I would, I would say technically it's not even the best Hammer film. Like, there's definitely some out there. This, this is definitely a better film technically on every level than Taste mm-hmm. of Blood of Dracula. But still... Yeah, Taste um, of the Blood of Dracula has that sort of social network and it has that kind of hypocritical religious vibe and all these other like social terms into it. Yeah, so, it, so it's it more criticizing uh, Vic, uh, sort of Victorian morals mm, and exactly. hypocrisy and stuff. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, unless we have anything else to say, uh, I'll throw over to you, Daniel, for where people can find you on the interwebs. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Daniel Lee Harper. I do uh, another podcast called Wrong with Authority, where we do uh, movies about history and the history they're about. Um, and we also do a little sub-thread of that, which is uh, commentaries on uh, movies from the 80s called Consider the Reagan. Um, I'm working on editing for an episode we did on The Terminator uh, right nice. now, uh, which hopefully will be up soonish i don't know we don't have any like regular release schedule but our next film we are picking we have uh, we are going to be recording this weekend and we are going to be doing the 1915 birth of a nation so that's going to be coming out at some point in the not too distant future but yeah so check that out Uh, which isn't up now obviously uh the most recent episode just came out and that one is uh from uh for anonymous uh from it's very good. You could you can hear about how uh, there there are batshit conspiracy theory people when it surrounds Shakespeare and whether he wrote his plays or not. Yeah, yeah. And that movie is just awful. 
regardless. So. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I listen to the podcast, and I have no desire to watch that film at all. <laughs> no, you shouldn't. No one should watch that film. Yeah. I feel bad. I rented it on Amazon. I spent like $3 on it, and I, I want you, my $3 back. Yeah, you paid two twenty nine too much I, from the zones of it. Paul, where can people find you on the interwebs? The YouTubes and the Twitter for PA Brew News. Simple as that. Boom, bam, boom, bam, awesome. boom, bam, boom. And of course, you can find us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find our YouTube, Apple Podcast, and Facebook links. Join our Facebook group. Best place to find out what the fuck's going on. Don't know what's going on uh, next week. I think I'm working during the weekend, all weekends, so we might not be recording an episode next week. So, uh, yeah, go to Facebook and stay tuned see what the fuck's going on. <laughs> and uh, until then, uh, thank you for joining me, gentlemen. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back when we are back. Goodbye. Finish Cheers. it! Finish it! <laughs> <laughs>
You've been listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For other episodes, our Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Facebook group links, as well as podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. Thank you. Drive through.